0: Last Friday evening, a group of us gathered together in the gym and watched The Lego Movie 2, the second part, in preparation for today's sermon. And on each of the remaining Fridays throughout July, we'll continue to gather in the gym at 6.30 p.m. each Friday for a showing of the movie that will then be discussed on the subsequent Sunday. So I hope that all of you will join us. It was a lot of fun. We know that God is speaking to us in all the experiences of our lives. And I believe that God even speaks to us through the movies. We just need to have the ears to hear. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna practice together listening for God. Let us pray. By your spirit, help us to listen with the ears of our heart for what you would say to us, God, And hold me up, that I might lift you up. Amen. Listen for God's word in this reading from Luke's gospel. People were bringing babies to Jesus so that he would bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded them. Then Jesus called them to him and said, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them. Because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. The word of God for the people of God. A lifetime has passed since then. We grew up, abandoned anything cute, shiny, poppy, or young. And from the wreckage, We built a grittier, cooler, more mature society. We call it Apocalypseburg, and it is a heckish place to live. Show weakness, and you'll be eaten alive. This new life has toughened and hardened us all. Two copies, please. One black, one with just a touch of cream and 25 sugars. Well most of us good morning a gaga oh, almost ran me over classic um, uh. good morning oh, Hello, sideways in the morning wide awake right. for the day i think i what a morning babies. <laughs> this song never gets old. Awesome. Oh, good morning, Sherry, Scarfield, Death no. Face, no. Metal Scratch, no. Razor, no. Laser, Laser Bean, no. Fingernail, no. Toxin Toast, no. Jeff. No. Hey, Batman! How was your last adventure? Good, really good. Saved the world. Again, learned the value of friendship. I loved. I lost, and and I'm good with it. And it's totally on brand for me to be a loner with a broken heart. It's what the fans want. So, yeah, I know I'm good with it. just me and Alfred. (laughs) Not a terse laugh. And um, what about you? (laughs) Awesome! (laughs) So five years after everything was awesome, their city was so destroyed multiple times. They had attempted over and over again to rebuild their city only to have it destroyed again and again until finally they had suffered so much destruction that they renamed their community and began to call it Apocalypseburg. They'd resign themselves because after all that they had suffered, it sure seemed like that the world had come to an end. Certainly their hopes and dreams of an awesome future had come to an end. And in order to adapt, in order to survive this desolate wasteland that had become their home, they decided that they had to grow up. And in their understanding, that meant that they had to become dark And broody and edgy. In order to meet a harsh reality, they believed you must cultivate a harsh, defensive armor. Now, literally speaking, apocalypse means revelation, not end times. But in the Jewish and Christian traditions, apocalyptic literature engages or emerges during what appear to be end times. Over and over again, when a people Um, have experienced destructive or dangerous times when, uh, in the wake of a conquering nation hauling the Jewish people off into exile, which happens more than once in the Bible, or when the church is under extreme persecution. During times like these, apocalyptic literature emerges, and it consists of these strange, often scary, images and symbols, prophecies that narrate a cosmic battle between good and evil, a battle that we can't see, but that is being fought on our behalf by God. In this literature, it's meant to evoke hope for a people who are living in hopeless times. Apocalypse is derived from the Greek, and when it's translated into English, it means revelation. Apocalyptic literature is meant to offer us a glimpse Behind the veil that separates our reality from God's reality. And what's revealed is that God ultimately defeats evil. God wins this battle. Now, the people of Apocalypseburg, they've lost hope in a future that could once again be awesome. They've become cynical. They've become jaded. It's a defense mechanism, right? Meant to protect them from disappointment. It's not uncommon. I mean, We don't like to be disappointed. It's painful when we get our hopes up and then they aren't fulfilled. Sometimes we can even feel foolish for ever having hoped in the first place. Hope makes us feel very vulnerable. I saw someone wearing a t-shirt at some point over the past couple of weeks and it said, the most courageous thing you can do is hope. That struck me as true. I mean, sometimes I get scared because I can't help but hope for something. And I worry that I'm going to jinx it if somebody finds out or if I want it too much. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. If you've ever tried really hard to not hope for something, it does take courage to hope, especially when we see so much destruction around us, when we see so much violence and hardship in the world. Conditions at our southern border continue to worsen. Mass shootings have become our new normal. Natural disasters seem to be increasing. I mean, two of the most intense earthquakes in 20 years hit Southern California this week. And why would that man put his head in that crack? (laughs) That really annoys me. (laughs) And then there's our own personal woundedness. I mean, we've all been hurt at some point in our lives, disappointed, by other people, by circumstances, by broken relationships or financial insecurity, by serious illness or injury. Many of us have lost someone that we loved deeply, sometimes way too soon. It takes courage to hope. In Apocalypseburg, Emmett can't contain his hope He's the only one who still believes that they can rebuild and that everything can be awesome again. And he's tried to change. He's tried to become dark and broody. He's tried to become jaded to grow up, especially to to please his friend Lucy, but he just can't do it. He's just too happy. His friends interpret that as immature and childish. Jesus said, That to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to welcome it like a child. The kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom. It's the reality where everything's awesome. Where justice and mercy prevail. Where love rules. Where everything is shared and everyone has enough. Where we all live together in cooperation. Where we truly form deep community. In modern day lingo it might best be thought of as God's kingdom because in God's reality we are all kin we belong to each other we are to care for each other because we know in God's kingdom that my well-being depends upon your well-being and your well-being depends upon my well-being it's all intermingled we all affect the well-being of one another. This kingdom is where God intends that we will live as the people of God, as the children of God. And to enter this kingdom, you must welcome it like a child. Now, Scripture doesn't explicitly tell us what it is about being a child that predisposes us to enter this kingdom but there are some hints. Jesus says this on the heels of two parables that he delivers in the context of a debate about what it means to be righteous and what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. In the first of these two parables, there's a widow who persistently prays for justice, even though the judge that she has to appeal to has absolutely no respect for God or for people. That's what the story says. And he refuses her justice over and over again until finally, just to shut her up, he finally gives her justice. In this particular parable, it's introduced as the one about our need to pray always and to not lose heart. That sounds like hope to me. Immediately following that parable, Jesus tells one about a Pharisee and a tax collector who who they come before God. The Pharisee in this parable, who by the way is not representative of all Jewish people or even all Pharisees for that matter, but this Pharisee in this parable, he takes pride in his righteousness, which he credits to his own ability and his own faithfulness in his religious practices. Meanwhile, a tax collector comes before God and he readily acknowledges his inability to make himself righteous and he repents of his sin. He's the one, Jesus says, that leaves justified. This particular parable is introduced as a cautionary tale to those who trust in themselves. Right after these two parables, Scripture says, people were bringing infants to Jesus. Now in those days, infant mortality rates were awful. It was common for children to die as a result of many of the illnesses that we can now prevent or cure. But the people, they had heard about Jesus' ability to heal. So scholars speculate that they were bringing the children to Jesus that he might bless them in hopes that they would live a long and fruitful life. Well, the disciples, they begin to act a little bit like bouncers. They become indignant, try to prevent the people from bringing the children to Jesus. Again, we're not exactly sure why. Perhaps there was a general disregard at the time for the personhood of children. Maybe they just weren't very highly valued. Or maybe the disciples wanted to protect Jesus' time for what they considered to be more important things. Maybe they were just jealous of the children's access to Jesus. Whatever the case, Jesus isn't having it. Let them come, Jesus says. Don't prevent them. In fact, you know what? You could learn a little something from them. If you hope to ever enter the kingdom of God, you'd best welcome it as one of these children. Might it be that children are innocent? I mean, at that point, they haven't become jaded yet. They haven't become edgy and broody. They don't even know what that means. They're totally dependent at that point, and they aren't afraid. They aren't afraid to hope. Maybe we need to acknowledge our utter dependence upon God and have the courage to hope that God's intentions for us are good and that God is fighting and will win the cosmic battle that rages between good and evil, maybe we need to continue to hope beyond hope despite all the evidence, despite the violence, despite the destruction, despite the pain and the suffering that we witness every day. We need to hope that everything can and will be awesome someday. And maybe that hope will inspire us to action. To do what we can to alleviate and to comfort and to even prevent some of the suffering that we see. In the end, it's Emmett's childish hope that saves the day. It's his love for Lucy and the people of his community that inspires his optimism and perseverance. And ultimately... They end up meeting and coming to understand the ones who have repeatedly destroyed their home. They're able to join with them to establish peace. And together, they begin to create a reality where everything is awesome again. Emmett realizes and says, you know, it's easy to harden your heart, but to open it, that's the toughest thing you can do. He says that he will grow up, but he's not going to forget who and what he loves. They all begin to realize that to grow up doesn't mean that you lose your ability to experience joy or to have hope in a future or to even find ways to build a future that's awesome. Today, we celebrate the birth of our nation we celebrate the independence of our nation, and in order to realize this particular reality, it took a lot of hope spurred into action. It takes hope to respond to what often feel like overwhelming odds or an overwhelming need. On the bridge between Brownsville and Metamoras, Mexico, On average, about 100 people wait there every day to um, enter the United States. They're seeking asylum in our country, and they have nothing, and it's brutally hot right now. They don't have water to drink. It seems like a hopeless situation, but there is a group of people who have come together, who have dared to hope, that we might find a way to make sure that these people have the water that they need every day. So a partnership has developed between Methodist churches on the United States side and Methodist churches on the Mexico side, where water is delivered to those people twice a day. It takes hope to rebuild after earthquakes and after tornadoes, after wildfires and hurricanes, but we continue to do that. This church continues to rebuild right here in Texas in the wake of the destruction that still persists after Hurricane Harvey. Today, we also celebrate the anniversary of Westlake United Methodist Church's first worship service in this space. Yeah, it's been decades I think it's been 46 years, but I've seen a couple of different numbers, so that's what I've got. But it's been 46 years since our founders had the courage to hope that God might gather us here in this place to listen for how God might speak to us and to inspire us to action, inspire us to connect with the Westlake community that we might all be drawn closer to God. This year, we marched in the city of Westlake Hills 4th of July Parade in hopes of making even deeper connections with our community. It was a lot of fun, and we got to meet a lot of people. We handed out a lot of water, and we had a lot of really wonderful comments from people in the community who appreciated the fact that we were there. We're the only church that's a member of the Chamber of Commerce, so it was wonderful to be there and to represent Christ. There was also an article in the Picayune, you may have seen it, um, titled Westlake Church Embraces Gay Founding Member. It was about Louise Morse and her relationship with this church and how she has had the courage to hope for 40-plus years that this church would be her church. She's quoted in the article as saying that... um, a little over a year ago when, we, when she came out, when she had the courage to come out to this entire congregation on Palm Sunday in 2018, the response of this congregation was so overwhelming to her. She said it was the most liberating thing that could have ever happened to her. She said, I knew in that moment that this church belongs to me and I belong to this church. We're kin. So here's the deal. Thank you. (laughs) Ultimately, as, as Christians, we hope. That's what we do. That's our gig. Because it doesn't matter what the circumstances of our lives are. That's not in what we hope. We place our hope in the one who is resurrected. We're Easter people. We place our hope in the one who promises life, not just in the midst of of death, but being born of death. We place our hope in the one who promises that, that, that when the end is come, we know to expect new and eternal life. Amen.